0: Happy wet and rainy afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 k Thank you all for joining me as we kind of recover from the heavy wind and rains that we've been seeing uh, throughout the mid-morning and into the afternoon. I, a lot of the rain, uh, saw the reports push back uh, and, and really uh, the rain kind of held off there. Uh, until around midday, and it's already basically gone through. It's now on the very eastern edge of Lafayette Parish. It's moving through. It will move out of the state by this evening, and we will be done with it. Now, I know a lot of folks are like, well, why did they cancel schools and everything? What happens in this scenario is that you have these alerts for some pretty significant weather. Tornadoes, small to medium-sized hail, High high winds, even if there are no tornadoes, it becomes a very big public safety problem. Particularly, depending on the time frame. Now, had this storm had it been well, this storm is going to it's going to go through Lafayette between nine and let's say one o'clock today. You probably don't cancel school because it's not going to really affect anything during those school hours. The problem is that the severe weather was destined to hit and destined to be going through Lafayette at the time of dismissal today. Dismissal means a ton more cars on the road and buses full of children. So you do have to keep that in mind. That's something that our school boards keep in mind. So we were out of school today. I was out of school. I woke up from a very stellar surprise nap a little while ago, shortly before the show. So if I sound disorganized, it's because I didn't do my usual show notes, but I'm going to try to remain a professional here on your airwaves. But we were out of school today. We'll go back to school tomorrow. Things will continue as normal. Speaking of school, be prepared because we're now very close to standardized testing here in the state of Louisiana. Make sure your kids are staying up to date, not just in their work, but in applying the skills they're supposed to have learned all year. I'm actually, I see, I don't teach a, a, I don't teach a core class, something that gets tested on the leap, but I'm starting to throw some of those things into my class, particularly argumentative writing, which is not, I don't think, covered in depth by a whole lot of English curriculum. Not at the level that I would want to see, but I'm a little bit biased because argumentation is literally what I do here on the radio and at redstate.com. You should go to Red State and check out what I've been writing. I didn't write anything today, though. Again, uh, it, today just kind of worked out very weird. Woke up this morning. It's my youngest daughter's fifth birthday, so uh, we didn't have school. We were able to l- wake up a little bit later, Go enjoy some donuts for her birthday. She got to open her presents, got to play around the house all day, took a nap, came up here, didn't have to worry about school or anything. So happy birthday to my youngest, uh, who is now all of five years old and uh, still very, very hyper energetic. 232-1542 if you want to call in and join in the programming. I want to start the way I started yesterday with the uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson hearings. Today was the first of two days of questioning for these hearings. Now the entire week is going to be fil- is going to be all about Ketanji Brown Jackson. Today, though, the line of questioning was very, very interesting. A little bit of it was kind of the Republicans needling and getting some revenge for the way Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett were treated. Uh, Lindsey Graham asked uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson about her faith. And she said that she was a Protestant, non-denominational. But that was kind of a, and, and then he made reference to the fact that, you know, Isn't it that you shouldn't be tested on this. And she was like, yeah, and says, well, then, you know, why was Amy Coney Barrett subjected to that line of questioning when she was confirmed? And, and the Republicans are, are really just needling and getting those points in. But I told you yesterday, it's a foregone conclusion. Jackson will be a Supreme Court justice when this is all over. What's interesting, though, is the line of questioning today, particularly from Republicans, demonstrates something that the progressives don't want you to pick up on. Whether or not she's actually going to rule like this, the statements she made at her hearings indicate that she is fully aware that the progressive take on the Constitution and the progressive take on the rule of law in this country is wrong. My buddy uh, Dan McLaughlin at National Review had this uh, write up after this morning's uh, half of the session. She note, uh, he notes that it has been thoroughgoing. It's been a thoroughgoing route for the progressive theories of law and politics. He writes, she affirmed that the Supreme Court has established that the right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right. When asked by Chuck Grassley about Justice Stephen Breyer's tendency to cite international law as a source for interpreting the Constitution, Jackson said that she respectfully disagreed with her former boss and that international law should not be used to determine the meaning of the Constitution. Asked to name a justice whose philosophy resembles her own, she could have named Breyer, but she didn't. She declined to name any of them and instead pointed at her own record. She continued to speak movingly about the cops in her family and the role of and need for police. She talked about her own experience, uh, how that was completely different from her parents' attendance of segregated schools, and cited how far we have come as a sign of the greatness of America. She agreed with Lindsey Graham that the radical Islamist groups are still at war with us and that the authorization for use of military force of 2001 is still in effect. When asked by Diane Feinstein, and this is the important one, when asked about the quote unquote super precedent status for Roe v. Wade, she simply discussed the normal standards for stare decisis and declined to apply any sort of elevated status for Roe. Asked by John Cornyn. She said that she had never heard of a judge describing a case as a super precedent. That is important because that means that the Democrats, their far left progressive base that has been saying all of these things, has, uh, it, it it's not gaining any public support. The... The Democrats have been really hoping that their progressive ideals would take root, would take hold, would take root. But what ends up happening, and you can see it by the prep that she has had to go through. See, when a candidate for the Supreme or any judicial position or any cabinet position, they're prepped pretty extensively Before they go for these hearings, they they are prepped on the types of questions they can be expected to ask. Ketanji Brown Jackson's prep prepared her for all these questions for Republicans, meaning she wasn't going. She was prepped to not rock the boat in any way because she knows that she'll scare off not just the Republicans, but also some of the more moderate Democrats who are terrified of putting an ultra-progressive on the seat when ultra-progressivism is not very popular right now. 232-1542 if you want to call in. When we come back, a little bit more about these hearings and, of course, your calls here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in and joining us on the line, Renee, thank you for calling in. How are you today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing okay. The wind's not catching me yet. A little bit of rain. I want to say that that comment you made about argumentative riding has a little something to do with this. The left with coaching their people have mastered the communist left, I should say, have mastered the art of winning arguments with slogans and catch-all phrases that just does what kind of argument. So argumentative writing is a fantastic skill in the modern era to teach your kids as well as martial arts. I think she's going to get her way. She's going to lie, weevil, and, and do everything she can to get her way, no matter who the hell, as. She's been coach. And uh, and it's my opinion that part of the problem with America, Uncle Vladimir says and claims the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union. I'll give them that. They got to do operations we couldn't against piracy and terrorism. However, the second greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the mismanagement and the secession of the Red Scare that were to clean out all these radical communists that infiltrated our culture and our government. That's the second greatest catastrophe of the 20th century.
0: All right, Renee, thank you very much for the call. 232 1542. Anybody else wants to call in? You know, here's the thing about what these candidates end up saying when they're being questioned by the Senate. And I, I know this, a little bit of background after Donald Trump was elected, you know, you have to get your, um, you have to get your cabinet members approved by the Senate. Betsy DeVos, the controversial secretary of education, was going before the Senate and Betsy DeVos is a big proponent of school choice, as I am. And I I was a fan of her. I'm a fan of still some of the things that she supports and does. Some of the things she did as Secretary of Education, some of the things she pushed, wasn't, you know, completely uh, on board with. But for the most part, I think that, that she did some good in that role. But you knew that the Democrats telegraphed how they were going to attack. Betsy DeVos in those hearings. And particularly, they telegraphed not just the Democrats, but Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are the most liberal Republicans in the Senate. They telegraphed how they were going to attack her as well. They were not in favor of The, the unions donate a lot of money to those two as well. So I was at Red State at the time writing about school choice issues and writing in support. One of the people that was tasked with helping prep, Betsy DeVos, reached out to me and thanked me for what I was writing. And some of the stuff that I ended up writing was stuff that was used in her prep for that. They have whole political teams that go in with these candidates and help prep them based on the issues of the moment and the criticisms that these candidates, these nominees are receiving. They have teams that coach them through all this. And Ketanji Brown Jackson is no different. There were several questions that she kind of passed on, if you will. She didn't make a whole lot of noise about. She kind of mumbled her way through it uh, or just completely kind of sidestepped The question, one of them uh, being the, uh, what I mentioned earlier, uh, to name a justice whose philosophy resembles her own, she declined to name one and instead stuck to her own record. Those types of questions, you don't want to affiliate yourself too much with one ideology or another. So on a question like that, you just kind of sidestep it. And that's what she did in that case. But these candidates, these nominees are routinely prepped and coached, just like any politician would be. They are coached to go through these nomination uh, processes. And that's what's happening right now. She is giving answers that she was coached to give. And so that's what makes what I was pointing out in the last segment so interesting. She was coached to give neutral, non-progressive answers. She wasn't going to push back too heavily on conservative jurisprudence, on conservative ideas, on the Constitution and the rule of law. And the reason for that is you have a 50/50 Senate. you need 60 votes. there I mean, uh, I'm sorry, you don't you don't need 60 votes. You need 50 plus one. You need Kamala Harris to break the tie because, Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for judicial nominees and Mitch McConnell finished the job by making it by going nuclear on the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. And so as a result, the Democrats only need their 50 votes plus Kamala Harris to break the tie. But. If you go too radical with progressive jurisprudence in your answers. You're going to end up with not just the Republicans opposing you, but Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema. One of those two flipping sides. And it's going to be a major embarrassment for the Democrats because you can say, well, all 50 Republicans oppose us. But Republicans can't stop this nominee. A Democrat can. Ketanji Brown Jackson specifically said, specifically dodged the question on expanding the Supreme Court. She she's not really in favor, of her, and she's not going to publicly speak that she's in favor of it, because then you lose Kirsten Cinema. And if you lose Kirsten Cinema, well then every Republican feels like it's okay. Go ahead and vote against this candidate. It's stalled. Right now, with no controversy, Gitanji Brown Jackson gets in to the Supreme Court and probably fairly overwhelmingly. The Democrats in the media want to make it closer than it is. They want this fight. But really, the the Republicans have no reason to fight this one and they'll let it go through. But you go extreme and you have a Democrat start to 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 wobble a little bit All of a sudden, the Republicans have a fight that they can win, and they'll do that. And that is the biggest problem that Joe Biden faces right now. And so his team has to go in and coach Ketanji Brown-Jackson to not be super progressive in her answers, because if she is, then the Biden administration has not only lost its policy platform, its signature legislation but it also loses a Supreme Court fight and they have to pull that nominee and find someone else. That would be hugely, hugely embarrassing for Joe Biden. But like I said, it's not going to be the case. She's been been well coached and she's going to be nominated. She will become the next associate justice of the Supreme Court taking Stephen Breyer's place. And there's not really much that's going to change that unless she screws up. But I don't think she is because the Biden administration is going to make sure there is no screw up. 232-1542. 232-1542. When we come back. Hey, what about Garrett Graves for governor in 2023? Well, a recent interview suggests that could be in the cards. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Guys, what about Garrett Graves for governor? We haven't talked about the 2023 election a whole lot. haven't? We, we've been focused a lot on the, uh, the major stuff nationally and some of the stuff a little, uh, little more immediate like the legislative sessions. But we haven't heard really a whole lot out of the Senate race that Gary Chambers is involved with. And as I've said before, I still think he's the front runner for the Democrats in 2023 as governor or somebody that he's aligned with, somebody that he endorses. But right now we know that John Schroeder, Jeff Landry, and Billy Nungesser are three Republicans whose names are in the ring for 2023. All three want the job. Jeff Landry has been at the forefront of every major multiple attorneys general fight in the United States. John Schroeder is clearly coming in as a fairly strong conservative, though not as outspoken as Landry and somebody who is focused on fiscal issues that Louisiana desperately needs to focus on. And Nungesser is just a loud guy who wants to be governor and has been spending a lot of time as lieutenant governor building up a statewide network for a possible gubernatorial run. But Jeremy Alford, in in his latest Baton Rouge Business Report piece, had a good long interview with Graves on a number of topics. Uh, Scott McCain, the hayride summarizes it um, very, very, very well. At the very end, he asked if he had ruled out running for governor in 2023. Graves responded at this point, we are 100% focused on this race, the campaign this year and the job we've got to do. The thing is, if you do a good job and the job you have, it creates options for you. So he's not ruling it out. He's just focusing on his reelection for congress this year and that is a very very interesting possibility mckay breaks it down very very well as to what the lay of the land would be like should graves get in now here's the thing graves could quite possibly be up as chairman of the house transportation committee and a lot of infrastructure work that gets done in the united states goes through the House Transportation Committee. And that is a very good thing for Louisiana to have a Louisiana representative in there. But if Graves doesn't get that job, he could very well throw his hat into the ring for governor in 2023. How does he match up? Well, here's how McKay puts it. He's not a big culture war guy. He's less torqued up about things like the 2020 presidential election. He's not all that passionate about partisan political warfare. For Garrett Graves, a lot of that stuff is a big fat meh. What wakes him up in the morning is building brick and mortar stuff. So put him in charge of the House Transportation Committee, and Garrett Graves is all of a sudden in a position to fix Louisiana roads, to dredge the Mississippi, and to put the dredge spoil to work rebuilding our marshlands. To get the drainage canals right, so on. The thing to understand is that not all is that all of the not at all not all that conservative types in Baton Rouge, the Baton Rouge area foundation gang who followed Jay Darden into John Bell Edwards' camp, they love them some Garrett Graves. They don't really love Schroeder. They don't really love Jeff Landry. They don't like his accent or the fact that uh, he is at the forefront of every big attorney general fight in all the courts. These guys have been pining for a Garrett Graves type for years. They wanted him to run for governor in 2019, but he wasn't interested. He talks a very good game. He, Steve Scalise, Mike Johnston, and John Kennedy are the four best messengers in all of Louisiana politics at the present. Graves can explain an issue as well as anybody, and he has skill at boiling things down so they don't sound partisan. If he got into the race, he would make Billy Nungesser completely irrelevant in no time flat. He would eat into Schroeder's action as well because a lot of Schroeder's conservatives like Garrett Graves. He isn't a wear-it-on-your-sleeve conservative, but he talks and thinks like a conservative does. Landry's hardcore supporters probably wouldn't abandon him if Graves got into the race. Some of his base, particularly in the river parishes and down the bayou, though, could be a little torn because they like Graves as well. Here in Acadiana, that really isn't true as much. We just haven't been exposed to Graves. So it could be a very interesting play for Governor. The question will come down to on the Republican side in 2023, though, who has the best shot of winning because a divided primary for a, a divided party in the primary for Louisiana never bodes well for us. I mean, look at the last two election cycles. You could have Landry come away in a in a matchup against Graves, but you could have Graves come away in a matchup against Landry and they both go on to win the governorship. Schroeder, maybe not. Nungesser, definitely not. I don't think in the current climate, Nungesser has much of a chance. But it also depends on what Democrats turn out there. White Democrats would be fine with Graves, might be a little more fine with Schroeder. They wouldn't be fine with Landry. Landry's got to solidify all the Republicans behind him if he's the nominee. But it's an interesting scenario for 2023. 232-1542, if you want to join in. We've got a caller on the line. Chad, how are you?
2: Hey, good afternoon, Mr. Cunningham. Thanks for setting my call. Huh? Yes, sir. I just want to say this. Uh, look, I like uh, your segment, which you were talking about, uh, you know, the governor's race. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. I don't know Gary Graves personally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't, I'm not against him. But let me, let's just say this. He's from Baton Rouge. And look who the last candidate that ran for governor? Where was he from? Baton Rouge. Yeah. Ed
0: mm-hmm.
2: He did. That. He did a lot of dirty junk behind Ralph Abrams' back. Yeah. And you said you brought up a good point. That country club in Baton Rouge, led by Jay Darden, John Bell Edwards, they want some. They want a puppet. And if Guy Graves don't wake up, he's going to be the puppet. That's why I think the next governor, the, the next good conservative candidate to run for governor. It ought to be Jeff Landry or John Schroeder. Billy Nungesser, I, I, I lost respect for him. He's a puppet.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think that in the current climate right now, I don't think uh, Nungesser has it. And I think, yeah, I, I would I would be happy with either Landry or Schroeder. I think, I think it I comes down. You, if
2: a man intervene, I'm gonna say this. Yeah, I guarantee you, you get John Schroeder or Jeff Landry our next governor. They will put somebody like Paige Cortez. John paul Cousin, in their
3: place.
0: You know, here's the other thing, and this is another thing McKay mentions of the hayride. If Garrett gets in, that pretty much does it for Nungesser. Nungesser goes back and tries to keep his job as lieutenant governor. That like screw- I said, he's a puppet. That screws over Sheck Snyder, who is openly talking about running for the That's spot. That's another puppet. Yeah. So now you have... None. Guests are wanting to stay as lieutenant governor, and you have a Sheck Snyder wanting to be lieutenant governor, so you have a potential primary matchup there, and a, a pretty interesting fight between Graves, Landry, and Schroeder. I think just from a purely, um, from, from an outside looking in thing, I think it's a fascinating race. But right. I also right. like Graves in Washington a lot more than I think I'd like him in Baton Rouge. Agreed.
2: Uh, I'm going to just say this. You got to look at it like this. Mm-hmm. If it boils down to John Schroeder, Jeff Landry, please put the issues aside. Work together. Because yeah. that's what idiots like John, John Bell Edwards, Jean Paul Cousin, Clay Schick Schneider, Paige Cortez want. They want they want somebody that they don't like to uh, fight. And they hey, they come out smelling like a rose.
0: Yeah, exactly. Chad, thank you very much for the call. We're going thank to you, go Mr. ahead. Abraham. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, more of your calls. Here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. All that and more. We'll be right back after this break. 232-1542 if you want to call in. We had somebody on the line, but it looks like they dropped off. Please call back in. Uh, here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you don't feel like calling in, you can find me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and email me joe at redstate.com if you want to comment on anything. So the more I think about it, the more I am, and and thanks, Chad, for the call in the last segment to kind of make me think about this a little bit more. It would be very, just from a purely outside-looking-in perspective, it would be fascinating to watch, wouldn't it? Potentially Garrett Graves versus Jeff Landry versus John Schroeder versus a Democrat or two Democrats. And then Nungesser, who can't make any inroads if Graves is in the race goes back to wanting to be lieutenant governor and he would be up potentially against Clay Shecksnader who wants that job he's tired of all the the crap he's taking in Baton Rouge but it's kind of crap he's rained on himself to be honest but that would be an interesting couple of races I think if Graves stays in Washington which I really hope he does Graves does good work in Washington and he I, I really think I would prefer him to be there rather than running for governor here. It's one of those situations where I would love it, I, my heart would love to see Jeff Landry get it. But my head, in my head, my my the me thinking about it, I think I would prefer. Schroeder. I'm not sure who I'd ultimately end up going with, but that's kind of how I'm torn. Head, head thinks Schroeder. Heart wants Landry. It's just kind of one of those tough races. I cannot see, I cannot see Billy Nungesser being a candidate that really much of anybody wants. He's going to try. He's got statewide name ID because of all the tourism stuff with the uh, with the tourism that he does, but. I cannot see none guesser really having a path to the governor's mansion. 232 1542, if you want to jump in, we've got Ray on the line. Ray, how are you this afternoon? Ray, you there? Yeah. What you got? Yeah, I just wanted
3: to uh, make a comment. You had a few moments ago, you were talking about Lieutenant Governor. I just think, you know, out of Baton Rouge, I just noticed that uh, most of the uh, people out there are anti-Acadiana. They seem to uh, think Baton Rouge, New Orleans, mm-hmm. and uh, next to uh, New Orleans, Lafayette and the surrounding area gets the most tourism in the state. And it's been like, I'm still over 70 years old, and I worked in news for over 30 years in the New Orleans market. Mm-hmm. So I'm, a, I'm aware of uh the way people the way people think on the other side of the river. Uh, it's it's in southeast Louisiana and uh central and northern Louisiana. There's a bias against uh KDN because they uh 'cause we uh, in the last uh thirty, forty years uh it's gotten it's kinda snatched a little bit of attention away from the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. And uh I uh it's it hasn't changed and it's a shame because uh we need better roads, you know, in this area, and they just in the last ten years got them and uh I just think more attention would mean a little more funds towards our, our our area, and it'd probably be a lot more popular than it even is right now
0: yeah no i you know the the thing that's very telling is that both the Republicans and the Democrats in Baton Rouge don't really like the Lafayette Acadiana very well. They don't they don't like it very well, one, because it's probably it's the most conservative part of the state, I would argue. Um, And that poses problems for both. I mean, the Democrats obviously don't like anything that's conservative, but Republicans in Baton Rouge and from other parts of the state don't like how Acadiana representatives and senators keep trying for the most part, keep trying to push the rest of the Republican Party to the right. We have some stellar conservatives in the House and the Senate, and they are very loud voices, and they keep trying to push. Now, granted, some of the folks from our area not as conservative as we'd like, and they like those Baton Rouge-type folks a whole lot more than they like even their colleagues from Acadiana. But we have some really good conservatives that are really trying to push the legislature to be more conservative, and it's very clear in Baton Rouge and New Orleans bias against Lafayette because we pose a threat kind of to that level of dominance over the state. It is, you're, you're absolutely right, Ray. It is something that is very noticeable. It is very palpable. And hopefully we can continue to kind of exercise our influence in Baton Rouge and, and see more and more of that support come out of there. You
3: know, i I to go on for an hour talking with you about, it. it's just, I think, um, we don't sound like them. They have, like, that southern Mississippi accent on the other side of the river. <laughs> Except in New Orleans, it's got that Brooklyn accent. And my family's from that area, uh, you know, for the last 30, 50 years. So I've got a little bit of that, you know, Chalmation accent. Mm-hmm. But it, it gets I, I'm so disturbed because I spent most of my life here. I work, uh, I'm retired now, but I work in New Orleans marketing news from the uh, late 70s all the way up to early 2000s, and I've seen it, and I've talked to a lot of the, you know, the the industry, they have the movie industry that came down here and let it go to uh, Georgia because of uh, egos and and money not going in the right hands. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to shut up now, (laughs) because they go on and on and on. There's just one story after another.
0: Yeah. Ray, thank you very much for the call. Thank you for listening. Two, three, two, fifteen, forty-two. Anybody else out there wants to join us? We got a few minutes left. I want to though, jump to something else real quick. I haven't talked about it a whole lot. It, is, it, is, it has been lingering in the news, and that is the situation in Ukraine. Right now, Russia has pretty much fully switched over to um, to a campaign of just pure destruction. At the same time, though, there's intelligence showing that Russia is amassing armed forces on the border with Poland. Poland is a NATO ally. Russia wants a couple things here. One, they want to put a lot more pressure on Ukraine. So why would they go to Poland? Poland has taken in hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees. And if they start attacking those refugees, they start killing the families of those that are still in Ukraine, who sent their loved ones out of Ukraine while they stayed in fight, that's going to hurt the will of the Ukrainians to fight even more. You also have Russia very upset with Poland for wanting to send fighters wanting to send jets, wanting to send everything they could to help Ukraine, because the Poles have been through this before. Poland remembers what this is like, and they don't want another country to go through it, especially somebody close to them like Ukraine. But here in America, you have a lot of folks who are saying, let's not get involved, let's not get involved, the Tucker Carlson types. They're isolationists. They're not... The Democrats, the media, want to accuse them of spreading Russian propaganda. No. Tucker Carlson, folks who think like them, are more isolationist than anything. It's one of the things that kind of spread from the Trump era is this isolationism in the U.S. But there are a growing number of voices that are sounding very pro-Putin in their opposition of helping Ukraine. And that misses out on one of the most important parts of what America is. America has long been somebody who wants to stand up to bullies like the USSR, like Russia, like other tyrants around the country. When Barack Obama went around to all countries around the world and bowed in deference to them, Russia responded by taking Crimea. When Joe Biden pulled out of Afghanistan in what was truly a military disaster, Putin attacked. But when serious people like the Republican Party are in charge, they don't. And that needs to be noted. Talk to you guys again 23 hours from now. Twitter, Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Catch the show in podcast form on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back right here tomorrow on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL.